and welcome to Pod Save the King, the podcast which aims to guide Britain into the 21st century through the use of discussion and debate. I'm Conor Stanislauskas, and beside me is Alison Bally, great auntie, co-host, and fellow political enthusiast. This episode will be exploring our politics theme, including the strike action of rail workers, teachers, and NHS nurses. Remember, you can listen to us on a walk, before a talk, in the dark, or in the park, on your preferred podcast app or website. So, uh, I mean, I know it's the 15th of January, but Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Connor. Let's hope it's a good year. Hopefully better than the last. Yes, Um, absolutely. So, uh, what did you do over the New Year period? Um, So, I had a really nice uh, chilled out Christmas Day and Boxing Day, which is really nice. And we just enjoyed being at home, lots of food and drink, and it was really nice. And then... We went to some friends towards the new year. We stayed with some friends actually over the new year. We had a house party um, with family and friends. So that was really nice start to the new year. Yeah. What about yourself? Well, uh, Christmas was, I went to my auntie and uncles. And then after Christmas, after like Boxing Day and stuff, went to Edinburgh and stayed for a few days there. Wow. Um, with, with family. So that was enjoyable. Saw the... You know, all the landmarks, Edinburgh Castle, and went to the Scottish Devolved Parliament, which was lovely, yeah. So uh, I think we should get down to business. Yeah, um, let's go for it. So today we're going to start with um, rail workers and, you know, the strike action from them. So um, basically, earlier, well, I say earlier this year, it is only the start of the year, but uh, I think it was last week, Mick Lynch basically said that if the government and the Prime Minister were to come forward with the proposal to have driver-only trains, then they wouldn't accept it. Uh, I believe the words he said, we will not accept driver-only operations in any company without a fight. We will never sign up to accepting driver-only operations. It will never happen while I am General Secretary. It will never happen whilst the RMT exists. Wow, strong words. It's a bold statement, very Very bold bold. statement. Um, So do we know if uh, there are driver-only trains in the rest of Europe? um, I'm not sure about the rest of Europe. Yeah, we didn't discuss that beforehand, did we? No, we didn't. Maybe something to explore. Yeah, potentially. Um, But we do have some driver-only trains in the UK now, at the moment. Right. Um, Now, basically, um, the General Secretary of the RMT told the cross-party transport committee that um, they won't accept it without a fight. And apparently it said that some train drivers already feel unsafe in them scenarios of driver-only operated trains. So I think we we looked at a statistic and it said basically uh, sexual assault on driver-only operated trains Mm. has risen by 180%. Now that's that's a lot. Yeah. Um, that's obviously an area of concern, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. And I suppose what what does this mean? You know, it's it's fairly vague. These small points that are being put out. Yeah. Um, and as well, it's there's there's apparently there's other crimes such as drug use, you know, mm-hmm. occurring on these trains. And the main question is, what would say security guards or ticket officers? doing these scenarios you know how would they prevent this from happening are we to are they to go forward and prevent it physically themselves or like you said before filming the podcast 
will it include? Or it, it, can they just do the job that CCTV can do? So, what, what do you think about that? Uh, that's quite an interesting uh, question that you pose, and I think the conclusion we came to, maybe to some extent, is that in the absence of that second person being there there is a a greater chance of uh, violence and drug use. So obviously the presence of that second person is preventing crime to a certain extent. I wouldn't have thought any job description for that second person includes intervening in a dangerous situation because I guess they might have some training, I guess, but they're completely unarmed. They don't have any protective clothing. So... You know, they're they're in quite a vulnerable position. I think the fact that the train drivers themselves are saying they feel unsafe needs to be explored a bit further because I don't quite understand the root of the concern because a driver-only train, the driver is completely unconnected um, from the rest of the train and the passengers. I don't think passengers are able to gain entrance into the driver's uh, cabinets. So I, I think it'd be worth exploring those concerns a bit further. And where's the evidence that uh, it's unsafe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it is necessary to explore that further. I do agree with you. Um, now, something else I wanted to add was um, what would this mean in regards to achieving the pay deal? You know, because I think the concern from the RMT union was the government could potentially propose this and say, well, all right, we'll give you a pay deal as long as you agree to driver-only operate trains. Like, I mean, I understand it would save money, I mean, getting rid of quite a large amount of workforce. What do you do with that workforce? That's Can true, they be yeah. redeployed, or does it mean redundancy? And then some people who maybe are only qualified in that field, where would they feed the families? Where would they, yeah. you know, get the money that they are currently getting? Yeah. Um. So... On that note, I think we should move on to teaching and teacher strikes. Oh, yes, this is a biggie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, teachers are a, a vital part of not just our society, but also our economy. You know, they're training heart surgeons. They're the ones training more teachers and train drivers. And Yeah, and I've actually got quite a, a good quote here from the union. Um, and what they're saying is, The crisis that we see in health is also happening in education. And if we don't invest in education, there'll be a long-term impact on the country's ability to be a major player on the world stage. And what they were also saying, even though people aren't dying in schools like they are in the health system, they're not being educated yeah. So they're coming out of school without the necessary skills to, to participate in society yeah, at even a basic level. It is quite an interesting one, this, actually, because when I was uh, looking into it, I am aware that there's like an academy system. Right. <clears throat> and the teacher's pay only relates to state-maintained schools. Right, OK. So what would you think is the percentage of secondary schools that are actually academies at the current yeah. time. Well, I know it is on the rise because I think, was it in 2010, the government uh, like made a, a new law where it was any new-built schools will be academies. That's correct. Um, 
I'm not exactly sure. Do you want to just guess? What? Um, right, let's say 50%. It's actually 80%. Right. And the government of the government policy is to convert all the schools to academies by 2030. Now, that's, that, that's big. <clears throat> that's very big. And it also has a very big impact on teachers' pay. Because as I said before, it's only a statutory requirement to uh, for teachers to have standard pay in state-maintained schools. And in academies... They set their own pay scales. Right, okay. They don't have to adhere to the government. And I looked into this a bit more because I thought, oh, maybe teachers are paid more in academies. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Right. Uh, Generally speaking, head teachers in academies get paid more than head teachers in state schools. Right. But the teachers get paid less. Oh, right, that's interesting. So my old secondary school, St Cuthbert's in Rochdale... um, they actually are now turning into an academy. Yeah. I did work experience there towards the end of 2022, and teachers there made it, like told me that like towards I think I'm not sure when it is, but it is soon. They are going to transition into yeah. an academy. Um, I go to an academy. Rochdale Sixth Form is an academy, um, and I mean that runs well. The teachers seem to be happy. Although we did have strikes towards the end of 2022 with certain teachers being in certain unions um so yeah but if there is no national pay deal for teachers and it's academies that set the pay scales for teachers do you think that's encouraging people to come into the profession if they're actually not being paid teachers in academies are being paid less than the state maintained schools where they're actually on industrial action there's going to be there's been a second ballot actually the outcome will be known tomorrow but this doesn't bode well for the future, does it? No, it surely doesn't. And I think it's the, it's the minimum salary for a teacher starting. I think it's around 30000 a year. That is the aim. Yeah. The aim is to get to that. But if if we have a, a mass block of academies, which is government policy by 2030, then that's, that's out the window then, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, absolutely. Um, and I suppose, you know, teachers aren't just working within the hours that a teacher is paid for. They're working at home, they're taking work home, they have papers to mark and lessons to set. Um, it is not an attractive profession at this moment in time. Surely not. Because it's got... The, the teachers seem to be responsible... For everything. That's oh, yeah. the perception of somebody who look, from the outside looking in. That they're not just teachers, they're social workers. They've got... They don't always have the support of parents. No, they don't always. So I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a potential time bomb. Oh, if yeah. they all go to academies and then they're being paid less. And also another facet to the teaching profession is teaching assistants who provide valuable uh, skills and expertise and support to the to the teacher because we've got big classroom sizes and what the, the unions are saying is that they're losing teaching assistance because they can earn more money in the retail industry yeah so we're going to end up with a, a kind of social care system where it's not an attractive profession and and the you know the uh, workforce is decimated it's it's a real a real concern, I would suggest. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, if teachers, if if education fails and 
teachers exactly. fail, then society as a whole fails. Fails, absolutely. And um, the, the ballot that they're currently um, consulting on, um, they had a below inflation 5% pay rise in 2022. Right. So that's, uh, you know... I, I, I don't remember having so much industrial action across different professions for an awful for decades. Yeah, for decades. And um, what is the government doing about this? Are they getting around the table? And if they are getting around the table, what are they talking about? You know, are they talking to the nurses yet? Well, that brings us on to uh, NHS nurse strikes. Now, again, as well as teachers, nurses are vital for our society to thrive. You know, they keep the waiting list down. They keep the hospitals running. Um, So, the Mirror reported just today, and today is the 15th of January for those listening at a future date. The Mirror reported today, uh, nurses warn strike could double in size next month as pay talks drag on in Tory split. Um, now, the Royal College of Nursing will send members out at 55 trusts in England on Wednesday and Thursday. To, as I say, today is Sunday, the 15th of January. Um, and the unions are now warning that if there's no pay breakthrough, it, they could strike again on February the 6th. Now, as we know, nurses strikes, uh, well, they really do disrupt uh the, the nation and, and the running of it and especially the NHS which is already under under pressure not just by funding but by long waiting lists um, and they also say that double the current number of nurses could walk out which is a very scary statement I mean anyone that's rang the doctors in the past week or two, even month should I say, know how difficult it is at the moment in, in the UK to get a, a, an appointment know how difficult it is to get treated and I know a a bulk of our listeners are abroad in other countries such as the United States and so they they don't really understand well not to patronise but I'm sure you don't really understand the ins and outs of how the NHS works but in Britain it's kind of it's the ledge that we all lean on for security absolutely absolutely it's one of our most if not the most treasured public service that we have it's free at the point of delivery. <clears throat> and just to say about the waiting list, our results largely due to the pandemic when all elective activity was stopped and the focus was completely on COVID and emergency care. Um, and do you think, as Rishi Sunak is saying, is that we should be anti-strike? Are you in support of the nurses going on strike or not? Well, what I'm in support of is people being paid fairly. I'm in support of a service being paid what it's worth. And the NHS is a vital asset, as I've as I've yeah. stressed previously. And so, uh, should nurses be villainised for taking action, using, realistically, the only weapon they have against the employer to, to remove their work... No, I don't think they should be villainised. I think, in fact, we clapped for them during the pandemic. You know, we stood on our doorsteps and we thanked them with applause yeah. for the hard work they did. Yeah. And the fact that they're being they are being denied what is really a basic human right—the ability to feed children, the ability to look after the families—and 
provide. That's why everybody goes to work at the end of the day, to, to take care of each other and to contribute to the system. Should they be villainised for wanting more? Absolutely not. Uh, Do you know that some hospitals are setting up food banks for the nursing staff? And I think that's that's bizarre, that's unreal. The fact that these, in reality, soldiers, and they have been soldiers, yeah. on the front line, as we've Absolutely. heard in the news many times, they are our only like kind of defence against illness and virus. I mean, the NHS, the nurses fail, the NHS fail, and like we said with the teaching, yeah. society does yeah. fail. Yeah, there are essential components of any society. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're touching on those essential elements, aren't we? Did you know that um, during the recent nurses' strike, the nurses agreed with their employers that they would maintain a service level so that anybody who was in accident and emergency care would be treated, there would be a nurse there, they are maintaining those minimum levels of service across the hospital. So that kind of makes me wonder, why does Rishi Sunak feel that he has to introduce these anti-strike laws in favour of minimum service levels? Yeah, and in reality, in my view, it's war on workers. Yeah, the government has waged war on the working people of this country, and it is wrong, and it's barbaric. Um, and this new anti-strike law, I think we should talk about it a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So, what does it actually mean? Because that uh, anti-strike law is quite emotive, really. So, what, what that headline says to me is that it will not be legal for you to go on strike. And it is a very vague statement. It's a vague statement. It's it's what trade unions have fought for, for, for workers' rights. And to erode that seems quite a backward step to me. It really does. When the, If you had robust negotiation process, I think that is a better route than introducing legislation that tries to make it striking and um, illegal. So looking behind the headlines, what it's saying is the legislation will allow bosses of key public services to sue the unions and sack employees who refuse to work. Um, it will apply to health, education, fire, ambulance, rail and nuclear power. I have to say, having read a bit more into it, it looks like the original bill uh, will be diluted a bit because there's some concerns about uh, a backlash in terms of, you know, a robust legal action against the legislation. Um, the minimum service levels has not been defined, so we don't know what that means. Which, uh, you know, it needs to be obviously clearly defined for each sector. Um, it will also back employers the law will support employers to bring in injunctions to prevent strikes or to seek I presume financial damages should a strike occur see questions that that, that come to my mind is vital industries are already understaffed I find it very difficult to employ people, and so firing people for taking action to get more money for the jobs that they're yeah. doing, it seems impossible. Well, it's like a retrograde step, really, isn't it? Because there's 130,000 vacancies within the NHS already, that so we're just going to make film. it worse. Exactly, and it's yeah, it's not it's not going very well, well is it? Uh, Labour have said that they would repeal the law if right. they got into power. 
So it does seem a bit of a draconian action to to try and resolve issues by making it more difficult to strike because the the working person that's the only tool they've got really. Yeah, absolutely. Is to, to withhold the labour. Yeah, yeah. To withhold the labour. So I mean all these unions coming together and we know in response many of the major unions have met in the, in recent weeks and they have I, I don't know very much in detail but I know that the RMT is one of them they have met to do a unified strike yeah. layouts basically yeah. where multiple different sectors will be you know delaying labour at if, the same time if that happens then we're into the territory of general strike yeah and that is a very dangerous outlook for the, for the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Pod Save the King. That's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me.